Welcome to the One Stiletto in the Grave podcast with your hosts, Sonny Ormond and Jane James. Well, hello everyone. Now, in today's episode, we journey into the magical and exciting world of radio sound effects. How do we make the champagne cork pop without opening the Dom Perignon? Are those horses' hooves really coconut shells? And how do we hurl a body down a fire escape without sacrificing a real-life actor? Welcome to today's episode of the One Stiletto in the Grave podcast with Sonny Ormond and Jane James. Now, look, you lovely listeners, have you ever wondered how in the arches the sound of a lamb being born is created? Or how the sound of Will Grundy running through the undergrowth is created? Or, indeed, how the sound of David Archer opening and closing a farm gate at Brookfield is created? Well, all these questions and more will be answered by our guest today. We are delighted to welcome Karen Carter who was a BBC Radio studio manager and all things technical for 16 years. Ten years full-time in London at Broadcasting House and six years freelance at Pebble Mill in Birmingham, where she and I first met. And Karen has worked on endless Radio 4 productions, including The Archers, and she's going to share with us how the magic of radio is created from a technical point of view. So welcome, Karen. Thanks for joining us today. Hello, Sonny. Mm -hmm. Hello, Jane. Hi. Thanks for having me on today. It's so, uh, what would you like to know, Jane? <laughs> well, uh, this is very basic, but I don't even know what a studio manager is. So, could you tell us something about your job and what it is you do? Yes, as a studio manager, you are required to uh, basically operate all the technical equipment in the studio and keep everybody happy. Uh, keeping everybody happy is usually the trickiest part of the whole operation. Um, I was uh, recruited from university where I did a BA Honours degree in theatre and television. And the uh, studio managers were taken in blocks from uh, groups of people from the universities and then trained by the BBC. Oh, that's interesting. So that's how it happened. Because I've always wondered how you got into into it all. So so did they just come to the universities or, or how did it happen? Well, at the time they used to sort of tour around the universities oh, okay. um, to various drama degree courses and uh, media courses and also students who came from history and geography and physics backgrounds as well oh. and uh, I actually was first introduced to the, the whole concept of studio management by some people who already were studio managers at the World Service and they came to our university to make a spoof Batman and Robin film <laughs> and, uh, and I volunteered to do the sound oh, right. and they told me all about this job and then I was mentored by one of the university directors uh, in the television area to learn all about sound. God. And you thought, yeah, actually, this yeah. is... Because it's something that you'd never really thought about doing. No, it was I never literally... thought about it at all. Uh, no, no my, like many students, you go to university thinking, right, I'm going to do this degree or that degree. Mm -hmm. But what you're actually going to do afterwards is the big unknown. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. so I was amongst the uh, candidates of that particular year mm. and we were taken up to Broadcasting House mm. in London and then 
we were all sent for three months to a technical engineering training centre down near Evesham. And for arts graduates, it was quite tricky because suddenly you had to cram a year's worth of GCSE (laughs) physics into three months, which when you've not even thought about that is quite mind blowing. But we had to technically learn not only how to build our own studio or uh, repair our Mm. studio if we were on air, but we also then had to learn how to operate all the equipment. So uh, when we left the engineering training centre, we were given our sort of pencil case of tricks (laughs) and that included a screwdriver, um, editing tape, a china graph pencil, (laughs) a razor blade and your set of headphones. And also, because we were in those days operating vinyl discs, Mm -hmm. uh, a record cleaner. Gosh, how things have changed because it's all digital now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's really it's, it almost sounds like an old sort of bicycle repair kit, you know, a very <laughs> well, odd it, it was set a bit, of, of, of ingredients. It was a little bit like that, in a way. But we had to, at that time, we had to be able to keep, basically, the programmes on the air. And right. we were working with quarter-inch tape at mm. that time on reel-to-reel machines. And that tape had to physically be edited with using uh, a china graph and the razor blades. (laughs) Um, And so we had to listen very carefully. We'd uh, basically rock and roll the piece of uh, quarter inch tape across the replay head to find the exact sound that we wanted to edit. We then had to mark that with a china graph and then find the corresponding part of the speech or music that we needed to edit, rock that back and forth across the replay head, mark that, and then put the piece of quarter-inch tape into an editing block and slice it with a razor blade and then get a piece of sticky tape, special editing tape, and stick that and stick the tape back together again so that when you played it, you no longer had um, maybe even a particular drum beat in a section or you didn't have a particular piece of speech that the producer no longer wanted there. Um, so, what, so your job, if I, sorry to interrupt you, just to make sure I understand it. So once, you're, once a piece is in, the, the actors and the director and the producers rocked up in studio, your job is to make sure that everything technical happens at the right time in the right place and it's edited to that's the right. director or the producer's specifications. Wow, that's a big job. Yes, it was. And it's, uh, it was very exciting, especially in the news, when I worked in news and current affairs, when you had to turn uh, reporters' file, file uh, the reporters' uh, filed reports around quite quickly. So they may file a report from anywhere in the world, uh, we'd record it in studio and then we would have to edit it and then the presenter would announce a particular report and we'd play it back off the tape at the time. Mm -hmm. So those could be quite stressful and hairy moments, but also Mm -hmm. quite exciting, Mm -hmm. um, especially when, you know, particular incidents were happening around the world and things needed to be turned around very quickly. But in as a studio manager, so you're operating the sound desks where you have all the feeds coming into the studio, say microphones, um, music, say you're playing it off of, these days it would be a CD, but when I was 
doing it at, when I first started, it was vinyl discs. Um, and you might have, so you'd, you'd have those coming, those sounds and the presenters' uh, voices coming into the sound desk. And then the person sitting at the sound desk would be using basically volume controls, which we called faders, to mix the sound so that it was comfortable for the listener to hear. So you're, mm. you're operating the sound desk. And then the also another job that you have is operating the ground decks and the tape decks, which we had then. Uh, these days it's all digitalized, but then it was analog. And so you, you physically had your uh, vinyl discs or your quarter inch tape, and you'd have to play those in to the program. I mean, the thing is about the studio manager, you're head honcho on you, really. Yes. Studio manager is head honcho. And then you've got, you, you, you'll have your director with you and they'll have their PA and the person on grams. Who, I suppose grams came from gramophone records. Was that where it originally originated? Yes. On? Because yeah. the grams person is doing the sound effects um, within the, 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 the studio itself. But then we also have, don't we, when we're recording, for instance, The Archers or any radio drama, we have the person with us on the floor. They're called the spot person, and they're doing on-the-spot effects, I guess. And, and for the actors, because, of course, we, we don't learn our lines, we, we're reading them, they, you become our hands, uh, really, don't you, if we're doing, I don't know, a tea scene or something like that. But, of course, it's much more complex than that. I mean, the, in fact, that was where you and I first met, because at that you were on spot when I first met you. And I remember thinking, my... God, this girl knows what she's doing. Because you have to be so thorough, don't you? And you're and you're pre you're, you're preempting everything that's going on. And you were always brilliant because, say, I I don't know, we were doing a scene where we were reading newspapers or or something like that, and a newspaper would have to be turned. If I was sitting reading a scene, Karen would be standing behind me with a newspaper. If I was supposed to be turning a, a page uh, and turning it for me, and you would say things like, "Now, where would you like that to happen, Sonny? Where do you want that turn?" Because actually. You may not be aware as a listener, but there is an uh, there's an energy and an effort in a voice when you turn a page because you know try it in the privacy of your own separate body. Uh, turn a page of a magazine, and you'll find if you're speaking to somebody, it does actually affect you. So you were always incredibly thorough uh, uh, about all that. Which was your favourite? I mean, be, being um, studio manager on the grams, doing that, or, or in studio on spot? Would you say? I enjoyed all the different aspects of it, to be honest, because they all had different challenges. And um, I loved actually operating the sound desk and being able to almost play it like an organ mm. insofar as you had so many different items feeding into that one uh, console. Mm. And you would be almost feeling the sound to make sure that everything married up and was comfortable for the listener to do that and obviously you were also liaising with the presenters you were liaising with the producer mm. about what was happening and so that yeah. aspect was very creative and enjoyable mm. I also loved doing the grams and tapes as well because there were times as that you had to be very nimble on your feet because mm. at that time as well we used to actually play a lot of the sound effects in live 
and uh, it was only uh, it was recorded on what was uh, a twin track tape so we didn't have lots of technology in order to remix stuff at the time and I remember there was one particular drama that I was working on about Wallace Simpson and we had this wonderful car chase with the paparazzi going across Europe and I had about three different uh, vinyl disc sound effects going and about four different tape machines with different ambient sounds. So the tape machines, sometimes I had sort of like the, the background of vehicles um, and then on the, gram, on the grams the, I had uh, car doors opening and closing in sequence to what the actors were doing so they had to be very precisely played in. Um, I had um, car horns happening, you had to have a particular engine of a particular car and of course it had to be period mm. so you had to have the uh, 1930s vehicles um, and so that took you know, a lot of time prepping beforehand mm. Mm. going and finding all the correct uh, vehicles and sounds for the period piece mm. but it was great because once we were doing it we had Stockard Channing playing Wallace Simpson and Christopher Casanova playing mm. Edward mm. and uh, you know they were reading their lines in the studio um, a colleague of mine was mixing it on the desk and then I was sort of you know as uh, Stockard was maybe getting out of the car as Wallace I was immediately pressing a door starting or <laughs> we had the vehicles running along behind and so you had this whole montage of sound building these pictures behind and you would basically at the back running between machines mm -hmm. to make sure that everything was happening at the precise mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. And of course, if an actor fluffs, if Stockard or your Christopher had start, fluffed, you'd have to start again, wouldn't you? Yeah. You'd have to go back to the beginning. Because that's some of the things sometimes, and that, that's the difference with the archers, because, we, you know, we are always on the back foot with the archers in terms of time, that occasionally, um, you know, something is played in after you've recorded the scene. And I, I can remember doing a scene years ago with Arnold Peters, um, who played Jack Woolley, and we were supposed to be waltzing together. And we were short of time. And so the studio manager at the time said, look, we haven't got time to play the music in for you to dance around, because obviously if we fluffed, it was all going to take a lot of time. And so they said, look, can you just dance around, you know? And, uh, and then we'll put the music on afterwards. And it, it, I can see us now, dear Arnold Peters, because we were, mouth, we were with our heads nodding the waltz time to each other, <laughs> whilst holding our scripts up in, in the other hand, reading our lines, but also moving around, making sure that our heads were towards the microphone. It was just completely madness. And, you know, Arnold was getting on in years then uh, as well. But the music was there. So it, there's a huge amount of imagination in that situation from the actor as well. But that was the way we got through it. I mean, in a, in a normal drama, you would have had the time, wouldn't you? The music would have been there playing for us as the actors. It didn't matter how many times we fluffed. But, you know, you're short of time in the arches. And I do remember that, that situation really vividly, actually. Mm. What, what was um, the most unusual spot effect that you, you've you've had to to uh well i've had a uh, many different ones over the years and um the archers has thrown up some interesting ones mm. and of course the one that everybody knows and talks about is the birthing of the lamb yeah and uh that one is a, a pile of uh, quarter inch tape that has been edited and ditched <laughs> on the floor basically <laughs> as the straw then um Usually you get a lovely pot of thick, gloopy yogurt and sort of mulch that between your hands and it makes all those sort of 
icky, squidgy noises of the uh, lamb coming out. Um, and then you uh, usually maybe have a damp towel, so it's a bit of weight that as the lamb comes out, drops into the tape. Uh, and so mm. you have that sound of the lamb being born. One of the most gruesome um, sound effects I had to do, which was nothing to do with the archers, <laughs> I have to add, um, uh, it was to, uh, play about witches. And one of the witches, we had to have the sound effect of her being crushed. Oh, gosh. So thinking out mm. of the box, what did I do? Well, I went and got a chicken, dead, I have to say, not a live one. <laughs> I went and uh, got a chicken from the supermarket and some chopping boards, and we recorded me squashing this carcass between oh. the boards Ooh. as the ribs of the Ooh. witch were broken. Oh, my goodness. And it goodness. was very, very gruesome, that oh one. Gosh. But effective. That, very, very, very effective. effective. Very effective. And, uh, mm. and this... This sort of raises an interesting question for me, which is, do when you're thinking how to create a a sound, do you do you go with what it actually would sound like or what we think it sounds like? So, for example, I don't know what a lamb being born sounds like. Do you investigate that or do you go with what the average listener thinks it might sound like? Well, it's um, interesting you say that because you do have to use your imagination a lot. Mm. Obviously, it helps if you know about it. I, uh, I've personally had seen lambs being born and puppies being born and stuff like that. Right. Um, however, for the radio to build the picture, you probably make the squelchy sounds more than they right. would be in reality. Um, mm. And sometimes the real thing doesn't sound to the producer who is the ultimate ears, they decide whether they want that sound and it's right for them for how they imagine the program, the play to sound or the effect to sound. So sometimes what you offer the producer can be the correct thing, but they don't believe it is. And I had one instance right. where I had to have somebody writing with a quill on a piece mm -hmm. of parchment. So I got a feather uh, and, a, and I got a piece of parchment and the, you know, the actor was doing their lines and I did the sound effect, to which point the producer came back on the talk back, what do you think you're using? That sounds dreadful. And I thought, uh, well, actually, I'm using a feather as a quill and a piece of parchment. But that wasn't what they wanted to hear. And on the radio, somehow the microphone, it, it just didn't sound right. So I ended up using a broken Bic Biro and a bit back of the script. You didn't. <laughs> to make the sound and instead. That, yeah. Because that on the radio sounded right yeah. to how the producer imagined the sound. Yeah to be. It's really interesting you say that because one of, I mean, you do learn a little bit as, as actors uh, about sound effects, obviously, because sometimes you have to, to do it yourself and so on, and you, you're observing spot people and, and so on. But one of the things I always found fascinating, for instance, if I was doing a, a scene, um, you know, in, in the kitchen with Jenny, who plays my sister, um, in the arches and we're having a cup of tea, and sometimes 
if the spot, if, uh, spot person has a lot to do, they could be opening doors and closing doors, and they might say to you, look, Sonny, could you do the teacup? Because I just don't have enough hands. And you say, yeah, yeah, show me what to do. So they show you what to do. But the interesting thing there is that if, as we normally would, we're having a cup of tea and we put the tea cup down on the saucer, we just plonk it down. Doesn't work, does it, Karen, no. in radio? Because it sounds like a heck of a sound. So what you have to do in order for us as the listener to believe that it is you're putting the cup down is you have to do it in two time in where you have to go boom boom with the teacup i haven't got a teacup in front of me so you don't just plonk it down you go so it i might explain that correctly yeah you sort of have to put it at an angle and then put it down at another angle so it's like two sounds isn't it Mm. and that somehow it's fascinating all these little things and then it sounds perfect then it's it's really right and am i right in thinking that if you're pouring tea is is it you you is the hot water sound better than cold water? Yes, hot water and cold water actually do sound different. Mm. Um, hot do water, so, yes, it's a, hot water sounds sort of smoother and gentler, mm. and mm. cold water it sounds quite harsh. Mm. In, you know, it's quite brittle. It's quite interesting. Um, the, the different, yes, I've the heard, different you know, sound I've, I've, with I've, the water. Yes, that's something I've picked um, up. Yeah. And you have to oh. be very conscious of. Um, I mean, say you're just doing the washing up, again, like Sunny says, you know, at home you might rattle the things around in the sink and do it. When you're doing it as a sound effect in there, you've got to be really gentle about mm. how you move things round the actual sink so that it, A, it doesn't mm. sound like a cacophony of sound, mm. but um, that, that it, it sounds genuine. Mm. And uh, and in footsteps as well, you've mm. got to be really conscious if you are, you know, of what age your character is and with what energy and what weight they might be walking up mm. the stairs or walking down the corridor, what sort of shoes they've got on. Mm. Um, and thinking, uh, and you've got to work that in time to, mm. to the actors. Um, and even things like, you know, even turning over in bed i mean if you've got um you know you've got your sheets and your bits of bedding to rustle Mm. around um for them in the bed but if it's an elderly person you've got to think about the speed with which Mm. that movement's actually going to happen as opposed to a child Mm. wiggling around in their Mm. bed Mm. so you and and like sunny says we like with the newspapers and things um depends on who's reading Mm. it Mm. And what size yeah. it is. Yeah. Have you got yeah. a tabloid or have yeah. you got... Um, and I think these know, things are papers. things that, as listeners, when, we, when we're all listening, we're not aware of. It happens at a subliminal level, mm. doesn't it? But it it's does. building up this fantastic picture for us um, mm. as the listener. And I, that's what and I love as a about listener, radio. Yeah. It's magic. Yeah, as a listener, you mm. know when it's not quite right, don't you? So yes. I, going back to the liquids, Karen, I've got a very important mm. question for you here that, that my friend Mishvani uh, when she knew that I was going to interview, said, "Well, you must ask this because uh, we're both quite interested in gin." So, does it, <laughs> do you have when you're pouring out gin or whiskey or whatever at the bull? Do you use gin bottles, presumably filled with water? Um, so, does it sound different depending on what kind of bottle you pour from? Well, obviously, you'd have to be aware that a spirits bottle like a gin or a whiskey bottle is thicker glass so you couldn't necessarily use a milk bottle because that's thinner glass so it wouldn't give the same quality of sound as you touched as you touch the glass and again thinking about whether you're pouring it if you poured it into just your basic tumbler which is quite thick glass it might be that you're Mm -hmm. having a gin in a tumbler 
but it might be that you're having it in a wine glass and again that's actually the glass oh. has got a different tinkle sound mm. to it really so you know and again if you're doing tea and everything are they having uh, a cup of tea in a mug are they having it mm. in a fine china um, you know are we stirring it are mm. we just clanking the teaspoon it's all all different aspects yeah. and of the interesting it. thing about drinking because of course Lillian my character in the artist drinks quite a lot uh, of gin uh, <laughs> is, so I've got a lot of experience in this department um, but uh, what, one of the things I always love is you know if Karen was doing spot for me and, and you were pour, you would be pouring the drink into one glass probably quite close to the mic but I as an actor would have a separate glass which had pure water in as opposed to whatever but so, so again you're working together Karen would pour the, then I would drink from the other glass I wouldn't be drinking from the same glass um, and the thing oh. I've always loved about ice cubes um, uh, the, it's dominoes isn't it that yes. we put into uh, to make uh, yeah dominoes because oh. it makes the right clinking sound right it makes the right clinking yeah dominoes yeah. make oh. the right clinking sound yeah so you yeah. have to just make sure that uh, none of the actors have disappeared off with some of your spot effects and are playing yes. dominoes in the corner when they've got <laughs> nothing else to do <laughs> that, that, and that's uh, right well yes it's so so the other thing I have to ask you about is horses' hooves. Are they coconut shells? Horses. Horses' hooves. Yeah, horses' hooves. Well, um, it has been known that they have been used on occasion. I personally haven't used them. But I had the most amazing job at one point of actually creating the sound effect CDs for the archers and other dramas. Ooh. And... One of the things I had to record were horses. Now, of course, I had to try and make these recordings as versatile as possible. So I had to go out and set up recordings whereby I recorded maybe one horse unshod going along a mud road for maybe a medieval drama. Then I'd need maybe four or five horses oh. going along unshod on a mud road for a group coming along things like that so you'd have to think about that then you'd have to think about and then I'd have to set it up to record horse shod horses on tarmac or shod horses on cobbles um, and things so that we've got all of those recordings. So where did you go to di different? Yes so um, I went down to a yard in the west country right. and, um, and basically spent a few days down there recording varieties of, um, of, of horses going along really? one thing and another and then I went up to uh, Suffolk and recorded uh, a gentleman who's got this wonderful uh, carriage uh, sort of a stagecoach type carriage and so I recorded the horses and carriages going along the road and again we had to find places that we could record it not on tarmac mm. and I have to say one of the more difficult things if, if even if that's not difficult enough one of the most difficult things about recording any of these is that, of course, the 20th century well, is out there, the 21st century is out there, yeah. um, and you've got planes and tractors and cars, oh, and there course. were times where you'd have set it all up, oh, gosh, yes. and the horses would be duly trotting, because we were doing a trotting sequence mm. as opposed to a galloping sequence, um, and uh, an, an aircraft would fly over, or there'd be a mm. tractor about five fields away that you could hear. So it, oh. it really did take a lot of time, editing and effort to get to, ha you know, just a simple recording of the horses. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that, and of course, we had great fun recording a lot of CDs specifically for the archers with the cows and mm-hmm. um, and land rovers and dogs and sheep and turkeys. And I had one incident where um, I went to a turkey farm and we'd set it up and everything and I was in recording them and the turkeys were just gently gobble, gobble, gobble all around the place, you know, nice and quietly. Um, just, it was lovely, gentle ambience. And all of a sudden, I didn't see what happened. All of a sudden, my headphones, if it were a cartoon, leapt off my head. My ears rang. And there was this almighty row of startled turkeys. Oh, really? And I turned round... Took it, turned everything off, which all my recording equipment had burst into the red uh, on the meters, and said, oh, what happened there? And the farmer said, oh, I thought you'd want them to do something, so I threw a bucket in. <laughs> oh, oh, just what you want. But that was <laughs> fine for my startled turkeys track. Yes, yeah, yeah. But not yeah. for... <laughs> Not for my gentle ambient <laughs> so turkeys in the background. In the track. BBC archives, there is that explosion of turkey gobbling sound. Yeah. Yes, oh, and God, probably labelled turkeys being turkeys being attacked by a bucket. Yeah, and How you know, funny. another time I was uh, recording chi- uh, chickens. You know, just in the chicken house, and they were gently burbling along, and, um, and so that was nice. But we had to sort of set it up so that I recorded them in the morning when they were first waking up. And then mm-hmm. I had to record them later on, going round the yard. But, you know, you don't really think about all the different aspects of how particular sounds are going to be used. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to, when you're recording them, you have to try and get as much of a variety as possible. Um, and one of the very funny ones that I had was um, I was required uh, to record some goats for... Mm-hmm. Linda Snell's oh, goats, yeah. Yeah, and cool. uh, and I had to obviously also try and get goats mating. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh I, w- <laughs> I was very fortunate because at that time my mother actually kept goats. So um, anyway, I did do quite a lot of recordings of the the goats round and about and chatting to you know chatting as they do goats, and then we said right okay well let's uh, record the the mating as requested. Um, so there I was, poised with my microphone and a very, very smelly billy goat. And um, so, and I was waiting. And I waited. And then I said to mum and this other lady, um, are they going to do anything? And the lady laughed. She said, they've already done it. <laughs> it was so quick. There was nothing to record. So it was blinking and missing. Except for this billy goat who continually was making very suggestive noises low in his throat the whole time. Goodness. But the actual moment was no <laughs> different oh, to anything else. Oh, extraordinary. So actually, if, if that happened to have, you know, happened on, on uh, with Linda Snell, then actually and viewers and listeners rather, not viewers, said, well, we didn't know it was happening. He said, well, actually, you don't with goats. It happens very, very quickly. No, he, he, just, he just sort of <laughs> makes a lot of suggestive noises in a sexual manner towards them. And that's it, really. That's fine. But you said before we, we started to record uh, about Mrs. Anthropus's greyhound, there was an incident. Uh, wasn't that? What was that? Yes, Mrs. Anthropus had some Afghan hounds. Mm. And, oh, Afghan uh, hounds, and they yeah. used to roar 
uh, you know, skitter around the house and one thing and another. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we duly played in the Afghan hands barking. Um, however, there was um, a query from a listener, a rather angry letter from a listener, actually, saying that we had not used Afghan hounds for this particular recording. And mm -hmm. so the editor called me in, you know, we've had this complaint, you didn't use this, mm -hmm. what did you use? Thinking, oh, I'd say, oh, well, I just used some spaniels, they were <laughs> at the back, they were all right, they were dogs. But um, I duly said, actually, I did use the recording of the Afghan hounds. And I went to our Grams library at the time, and there on a little 45 uh, disc was um, Afghan hounds. And mm. that's mm. the one I had played. Mm. But again, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because like you were saying before, sometimes what you think is the right sound to the listener isn't the right sound. I mean, you know, that's what's so curious. Always, as well, always fascinates me, although I'm never really involved in those scenes, but, you know, for instance, if David Archer was clambering over a stile or farm gate, of course, what tends to be used there is an ironing board, isn't it? Yes. Because that sounds perfectly like a, yeah. like a style gate yeah. or not, yeah. you know. But it, what fascinates me is as sorry, well how... Uh, 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 sorry, <laughs> ignorant, ignorant listener here. How do you mean you use an ironing board for a style gate? Well, Karen could explain. Well, basically, he does all the effort in his voice of getting mm. over the gate. Mm -hmm. And we, as the, as the spot SM, are sort of opening and closing the ironing board very carefully... Mm and sort of leaning on it, because it, uh, really? it's on its side, it's not usually upright, it's actually mm -hmm. on its side, and you're just okay. using the bits for, for the sound of the gate opening. I have to say, though, of course, it has to be a metal gate that yeah. he's using if you're using a metal uh, ironing board. Yeah, yeah. If not, you've got to find your wooden yeah. one. So what creak? Ah, so what would you do with that situation, then, a creaking wooden so gate? If it, what would if you it was a wooden one... Mm. If it was a wooden one, I'd look for probably one of those old-fashioned uh, laundry eras that have the um, the, the wooden ones yeah. with this sort of slightly squeaky yeah. um, hinges on yeah. them. Uh, and I'd, I'd try that as one of my points of reference and see what worked. So this is it. So over the years, because that must have been particularly, well, it could be archers or any radio drama, but I mean, there could have all sorts of effects. You think, how am I going to do that? How am I, how am I going to make... So you just have to sort of... Use what, your imagination. Use your imagination and go yeah. and source it all. You become rather a strange person that goes around listening to a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And the other one I always loved is, is the... Um, uh, with, the, with the champagne cork, always used to fascinate when the champagne was supposed to sort ah, of yes, go the off. the champagne cork. Yes, we always do that really nicely. And it sounds very good, doesn't it? it does. I mean, it you're brilliant. always drinking so much on these programmes. But what we do is give you a lovely, tasty um, bici a bicycle pump, first of all, yes. with a cork in the end. And we pull the bicycle pump and pop the cork yeah. and then give you a lovely, tasty Alka-Seltzer. Absolutely, without any Domperignon. No, what is it? Domperignon being opened. Yes, yeah. no, it's wonderful. Actually, it's very, Aww. very clever, all that. I know. And I always love, the, 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 you know, if I'm supposed to be, well, it could be Will Grundy or something like that, or anybody running through the undergrowth, because I used to really love that. And that's the old tape, isn't it? That's the, the, the old quarter-inch tape. Quarter-inch tape. Quarter tape, and just literally running on the spot and, and being breathless. And, and that creates yeah. the most wonderful effect. Which nowadays is very rusty and very scrunched up because mm. of course it's not as readily available 
yeah. um, to keep replenishing it like we did when we were actually using it to record things on. So mm. it's uh, it's an archive in itself. Yeah, absolutely. Really. And of course, and it's now digital, isn't it, Karen? Everything is now completely digital. So yes. that must speed up everything then for for the technicians or in, in every way, I guess. Mm. They still um, require spot effect. SMs mm. to some extent, you still need to do quite a few in situ ones, particularly mm. on programs like the Archers. Mm. Mm. Uh, but a lot more is mixed after the event, yeah. which is probably uh, more economic uh, financially uh, um, and time wise, maybe, but it's not as much fun as mm. when you're all in the studio. Um, working together as a team to create uh, an interesting drama. And that is the glorious thing about it, I think. The fact you are a team. You are a complete team, aren't you? And, and that's one of the things I miss terribly when we went into lockdown, you know, and it was fantastic that we were able to record from home. But it's lovely to be back in studio now. And, and it is. And also, you know, we can all be resourceful. I mean, sometimes, as I was saying before, if the spot person has a lot to do, maybe there are several people coming in through doors and you're closing and opening doors. Um, you know, we as a team, as actors, join, join in that and say, well, look, can I do that? Or shall I do that for you? And, I, you know, I, yeah. I, I love all that and then you hear it you hear the pictures that you've created uh, fine and you think yeah you know we, yeah. we really really did that so it is and one um, of the lovely things about also as a spotter sam which is really really important um is actually you're on the floor with the actors and actresses and you're keeping the team functioning and happy really you're making sure everybody's got their water you're sort of working like a, a stage mm. manager mm. Um, and, oh, and right. help making sure mm. that everybody is um, mm. happy with what they've got to do where they've got to be mm. whether they need a fresh glass of water or what so you're looking mm. after everybody as well as being mm. their hands feet and ears and everything and, else and you know being an actor i have to say that is what makes uh, as well a really good spot person because it's like everything in life isn't it some people are better at things than others and and you as i say were always absolutely brilliant and the person that we have at the minute um, who works with us on the arches is fantastic too and it, it, it's just about yeah as you say stage managing everybody and and being there and being part part of the team and, and making sure that everybody's all right before we sort of finally wind up um can you tell the listeners what would happen say you know you were doing a drama where um an actor had to fall down five flights of stairs um and uh you know you don't want to actors you know can be expendable of course but uh, how how would you actually do that that always is a, is a good one well it might be in the first instance that the producer would say, you don't mind doing that, do you? As to the spot <laughs> of them. Um, and we have been known to be bodies dropping to the floor. In fact, uh, I think there was an occasion for you in one of our dramas where you weren't able at that point to fall to the floor. Um, in uh, So I had to be your body there. But mm. as to going down five flights of stairs, I think that would be a pretty tall order. So I would probably scrub around and find some old bits of clothes, um, maybe a swede or turnip as a head, <laughs> um, a couple of um, 
broken bits of wood inside some trousers and a bit and maybe a couple of sandbag inside so that it's sort of got the weight and the sound of it and then I throw it down the stairs and see if it sounded right with the producer that's off the top of her head. Oh, I know. Off the, and they, they're all sort of body bag things, aren't they? They're, 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 is that they're, right? Or something? They probably are, like, but for the yeah, lot but, of producers, they probably wouldn't sound right. No, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So you'd have to be creative. Oh, yeah. yeah. But you do have it to must, be very creative. It, it's, it's just so fascinating, Karen. And I, I'm really peeved that, that 40 minutes is just absolutely raced by. I can't thank you enough for coming. And we could have. We could have spent the rest of the afternoon really asking. It's still, loads of sound effects I'd love to ask you about. Maybe we'll get you back again another time yes. to yeah, yeah, to yeah. ask some more. So thank, thank you so so much for coming. It's been my pleasure. Yeah, it's been lovely really to talk to you. really lovely. Bless you. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our One Stiletto in the Grey podcast. If you'd like to see behind the scenes clips and bonus content, please visit our Facebook page, One Stiletto in the Grave podcast. And if you'd like to ask any questions, follow us on Twitter at One Stiletto sixty five. This podcast is produced by Raggedy House Productions and the music composed by Tom Smith. See you next time!